Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. How many of you, uh, how many of you know that some stories, they just, they seem dead in some kind of way? Uh, we get, we've got movies that we go to, and there's just, it's not exciting. There's just something about it that we don't, we don't really love. But we, we love stories that start off bad, but they get really good. We love stories about bad dudes that in the end they see the light and they, they turn it around and they're awesome. That's why we love Darth Vader. We love, frankly, I always loved Darth Vader because he was way more cool than Luke Skywalker. All right. But I really liked it when at the very end of his life, he turns it around, and he gets good. And that's why movies always seem to end on a good note. Because if it didn't end on a good note, we wouldn't go and keep on watching movies. We want stories that end on a good note. And we will stick with the ugly side of a story in hopes that there is a better story to come. One of the ugliest things that I've ever had to watch in my life, uh, it was always the first week of basketball practice. And I would do this thing with my basketball girls. I would try to put them through uh, this thing that's called a five-man weave. Now, if you've never, if you don't know anything about basketball, here's what a five-man weave is. You got five lines, and the first girl in each line gets out onto the court. Girl in the middle starts with basketball, and she throws the ball to the person next to her, either to the right or left. She follows where she passed. She runs to the end line, and now they keep passing back and forth in a weave, and they just follow their pass, go to the end line, and the whole thing with it is you can't drop the basketball. You can't travel. you got to be moving and passing without traveling. And at the end, everybody should have touched it one time. The last girl gets it. She puts it in the, in the bucket for a layup. And then you rebound it. You don't let it hit the floor again, and you come back. And if they didn't do that, if they, if they messed up at all, I was a jerk. I'd be like, all right, get back. Do it again. And the first, that first week of practice, it was awful. It was like the worst thing that you've ever seen in your entire life. But it, taught, it teaches a, a basketball team so much. I would make them call out the name of the person that they were, that they were passing to so they had to learn the girls' names because you have to talk on the basketball court and communicate. There was, you had to go through a certain order of things like you're running a play. It was just a constant team effort. And that first day, though, we couldn't get through two times down, back and down the court usually without messing up. But I'd tell them, I'd be like, girls, we're going to do this 10 times before we're done. 10 times without a mistake. And you could just, you could like see the death in their face. Like, there's just no way. We're awful. And I'm like, yeah, you are. But one day we're going to get to this place. And a lot of times the first day we'd get about 15 minutes into it. I'm like, okay, girls, it's not going to happen today. But I guarantee it's going to happen. And about two weeks later, 95% of the time that we would do this, you'd do it without a mistake. And we'd get to where, man, we were doing 20 times in a row without making a mistake. And the thing is, is I always, because I've been in basketball all my life, I always saw a better future. I always saw that there was something better coming down the road. And the girls couldn't always see that. There was always something better coming. And that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is this promise of a better something that is coming down the road. And I love the Old Testament. Um, but to be honest, if you look at the Old Testament, it does not start out super promising. People show that in the Old Testament that they're just kind of bad at life right from the get-go. Adam and Eve, first two people, they literally had one job to do. 
One job. Hey, don't eat from that tree. They couldn't do it. They messed it up. But in the course of all of these Old Testament stories, we see that there's something better on the horizon. God is continually just kind of foreshadowing, like, there is going to be a better story. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at stories throughout the Bible, particularly for the next number of weeks in the Old Testament. And we're going to see that in the process of these stories, in the process of human nature, there are a lot of ugly stories. There's a lot of ugliness. And at times it's going to seem like as we're going through these stories that, man, it's like there is, we're, it's just bound for awfulness to happen. But also in the course of it, even in the Old Testament, I think you're going to start to pick out that God had a better plan from the beginning. And so today we're actually going to be looking at the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are the children, the, the firstborn sons of Adam and Eve. They are the first siblings recorded in the Bible. They are the first, in this story is recorded the first murder. In this story is recorded the first person who was murdered. They're messed up. But, again, even though death is a, you're going to see is a major part of the story of Cain and Abel, death isn't the final story. Guys, I want you guys to read this with me. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, we're going to read the first 10 verses of it. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked on with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. This story is one of the saddest stories that I've ever read. I'm, I'm one of those weird people that I love. I'm like a true crime junkie. I listen to way more true crime podcasts than I should and listen to more true crime books than I should. I don't know. There's something fascinating about what takes people to the depth of human living, but also how do people get through when they've been in that place where, where somebody has done something awful to them. There's something fascinating. But in this story... Man, killing your own brother, I don't know if it gets much more sad than that. And we're going to see, as we're looking at the story, as we're looking at all these stories in the Bible, these aren't just, like, like it was said on that video, there's, these aren't just a bunch of stories that are thrown together that are kind of random. They all have a connection. They all are trying to tell us, what is it that this, what is it with this human race? What is it about this human race that's so messed up? And is there anything that is being done about it? Is there any answer to it? And we see right, right away in this story of Cain and Abel, the problem with the human race, it's a sin problem. 
And when I say it's a sin problem, there are people that are like automatically, ugh, I hate that word. Don't talk to me about sin. sin. The idea of sin is like archaic to us. We think, man, you don't talk about sin. That, that, that implies that I can't just do whatever I want. That implies that there's right and wrong. But isn't, isn't truth kind of all it's based on us as individuals? We read this story, and I'm trying to just conv- try to convince me that this story doesn't show that there is destruction in this thing that we call sin. But I also see in this story, sin is, sin is not the final story. Sin is not the end of the story. There is a better story that Jesus gives us here. Uh, in, in the story of Cain and Abel, there's a few things that I think are important to discover about, about sin. And I think that the writer here of Genesis makes some of them really, really clear to us. He really paints this image that sin is like a predator. In Genesis 4-7, it says, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I love how God is giving this visual here that sin is, it's like a mountain lion. It's like this mountain lion that is just creeping through the weeds. You don't see it coming, but it's crouching at your door. It is ready to attack at any point. So there's a few, a few aspects of, of sin that we're going to talk about here, and, and we see it in Cain. Uh, the first one is that in Cain, Cain's sin is subtle and sneaky like the predator. Okay, sin is subtle and sneaky like the predator. Uh, I, don't, I don't know really about what the, the story with mountain lions in southern Wisconsin is. I don't know if they're around here. I assume that they are because up in northern Wisconsin, there's mountain lions. DNR doesn't want to admit it. But there's mountain lions. And my wife, she is convinced that one time when we lived up in Manaqua, that she saw a mountain lion walking through our yard, like right around dusk, right around night. And it freaks me out thinking about that. And it's not, it's not too out of, the, out of the realm of possibility because I know about a half mile away there was a Walmart. And I had heard that on the security cameras, they had seen mount, a mountain lion in the parking lot. Okay? The idea of a mountain lion terrifies me. I was on, on the Ice Age Trail a couple weeks ago, and I was the only one on the Ice Age Trail. It was an early morning. It was beautiful. And I'm running, and that lonely feeling started to make me feel a little, like, this, like, I feel like somebody's watching me. And so right away, I got it in my head, like, what if there's a mountain lion? And so then, then you get to your tough guy mode, and you're like, well, if there's a mountain lion, I'm gouging out those eyes. I'm telling you what, there's zero chance that I'm gouging out the eyes of a mountain lion if it comes after. I will be lucky if I, if I don't like just lay over on the ground in a fetal position and start sucking my thumb and just wait like, Lord, just take me home. I'm, the mountain lion thing, it absolutely terrifies me because they hunt you down. They come out of nowhere. They are subtle and they're sneaky. sneaky the scariest predator is the one that you don't even recognize is there. It creeps up on you unexpectedly where you don't even realize that you have to put up a defense. And by the time that you realize it, you're probably dead. A great predator is not just strong, it's also sneaky. And this passage with Cain and Abel, it is brilliantly told. The reason why it's brilliantly told is you don't know what exactly it was that Cain did wrong in the first place. Now, okay, when it comes to the murder, yeah, we get it. You shouldn't have done that, Cain. Totally. 
But in verses four and five, when it's talking about the offerings that Cain and Abel brought in that Cain's was not accepted, Abel's was accepted, the scripture gives like no real reason as to, okay, why was Cain's not accepted? In fact, it seems like they were both doing kind of the right thing. When it comes to whether people are doing the right thing or the wrong thing, most of us, we don't think in subtle terms. We have a hard line between what's right and what's wrong. If you are a Republican, you probably have 10,000 reasons why you think Democrats are bad people. If you're a Democrat, you probably have 10,000 reasons why you think Republicans are bad people. If you're an independent, maybe you just hate everybody. I don't know. But if, even as, okay, I joke about this, but even as a football fan, as a Viking fan, I do actually have to remind myself certain Sunday, Sunday afternoons that Packer fans aren't evil people. Like, there's this thing in us that if I do this, I'm good. If you do this, you're bad. There's like no subtlety with us. But in this passage, there is subtlety about what Cain was doing wrong. Neither of these guys, neither Cain nor Abel are out doing awful stuff. They're not now partying and, and doing drugs and drinking, getting, doing, you know, getting prostitutes. They're not doing that stuff. In fact, they're both giving offerings to God. And beyond that, they're actually, the material aspect of the offerings that they're giving to God are actually good. Uh, some people think that Abel's offering was accepted simply because it was a blood offering. That he killed an animal and the blood offering was better, so God accepted it. Here's the thing. Abel worked with the flocks, it said. So Abel worked with the animals. So the offering that he would bring to God would be an animal. Cain worked with the fields. And so the offering that he would bring to God would be the fruits of the field. Neither of them were giving a, a wrong offering. In fact, they both were good on what they brought to God as an offering. Where they differed was with how they brought their offering to God. And that's why it's so subtle. Because it's just a matter of the heart. Everything about this story, about what Cain did wrong, it's about a matter of the heart. You see, Cain, Cain and Abel, they, they, give, they were giving gifts to God a lot like sometimes you and I would give gifts to each other. Uh, sometimes we give good gifts, sometimes we give bad gifts. Very first gift that I ever gave to my wife, it was Christmas 1997. And back then, just to, to give you a little understanding, guys wore things in, guys in high school wore things really baggy. And so my t-shirts, I still have a bunch of t-shirts from high school, my basketball shirts. My wife can't throw them away, I won't let her. Actually, we did throw away some of them because she, I want to keep her happy. But all of those t-shirts, every single one of them, size extra large. I am not an extra large human being. The, the largest I should wear is a medium. And even that, I, I drown in half the time. And so my short sleeve shirts, they would come down to my wrists. No lie. And so I walk into a store. I'm like, I want to buy something nice for my wife. I walk into the only store in Minocqua where you can buy clothes. I'm like, I'm going to. So I bought my wife a sweater. I bought my wife a size large sweater. Gets worse. I bought my wife a size large men's sweater. Yeah, that's, that was pretty dumb. And so, but here's the thing about that gift. My wife, well, she was my girlfriend then. I wanted her to be my wife already if, after like three months. But she, she takes the gift, and because I gave it in total love to her, she was totally gracious. She even wore the thing a few times. I don't know why. She loved me so much. 
But when we give gifts for the right reasons, they get accepted because we give it for the right reasons. There's really only two reasons why Cain and Abel would have been giving gifts. First reason, you give an offering as a sign of gratitude for what God has done for you and for who he is. In other words, it is a sign of love. The second reason that you would give an offering is you give an offering to get something from God. It becomes a means of salvation. It becomes a way for God to have to owe you something. Can you guess which one Cain was in that situation? Here's the thing. Hebrews 11.4 says this. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, Cain brought a better offering. See what was going on here? This is all a matter of faith. And and it was a matter of the heart. And Cain, Cain was calculating in his offering. Well, if I bring this to God, God is going to accept, like God is going to owe me something. God's going to have to do this for me. Abel wasn't thinking that way. Abel's just like, God, you're pretty good. I'm going to bring you an offering. Cain and Abel actually remind me of a story that Jesus talks about in the New Testament. A lot of us have heard the parable that Jesus talks about that we call the parable of the prodigal son. And the first son in that story, he got ticked off with his dad. He wanted to do his own thing. He says, Dad, give me all the money that I'm going to get. He goes off to another city. He wastes all the money away on partying and all this stuff. He's eating from a pig's trough. Finally realizes, my dad is better than this. My dad would take care of me. My dad loves me. I'm going to go back to him. And his dad welcomes him with open arms. And that young man's heart was changed. He realized the, the care and the love that he has for his father. That's the kind, of, the kind of kid that Abel had become. He understood who his father was. Cain was like the older brother in this story, the prodigal son. Cain was the one that did all the right things. Cain was the one that stayed with his dad all while his brother was out doing whatever. But the only reason he stayed with his dad was not because he loved his dad, but it was because he wanted to get from his dad what he thought he deserved. That's the story of Cain. That's the story of the older brother and the prodigal son. See, Abel's and Cain's are different kinds of people. Abel's do things by faith. Abel's know that they're not perfect, but they also know that it's not on them that they're going to get their salvation. It is God who gives them their salvation. And so they're content to give themselves to God simply because they have an appreciation and a gratitude for what God has done. Cain's, on the other hand, Cain's hate Abel's. Cain's are always comparing themselves to other people. Cain's are always grumpy. Have you ever known somebody that's just always grumpy all the time? Nothing's ever good enough. Cain's are always anxious. Cain's are always looking for a way to get other people to see them as being super awesome. They're always looking for a way to get God to owe them something. And then for the Cain, when, when life doesn't go the way that a Cain wants life to go, Cain's get angry. Now, do you see the subtlety here between Cain and Abel? It seems super, super small. They both gave a good offering, but they gave it with the wrong heart. Cain gave it with the wrong heart. Abel gave it with the right heart. We can offer ourselves to God for for our own sakes, we can give ourselves over to God for our own sakes, trying to make God owe us something, or we can give ourselves to God because we realize he's already given us everything that we could ever ask for. Question is this, do your actions line up with your heart? Are you doing all the right things, but your heart is still far from God? Because that's the problem that Cain had. Cain had this problem that he had this subtle problem 
where his heart wasn't what it was supposed to be. But there was another problem that Cain had. The, the second problem to Cain's sin was this. Cain's sin is powerful and it's destructive like a predator. Okay, it's powerful and it's destructive like, like a predator. The subtlety is not always, the, it's, the subtlety is not gonna kill you always. Sometimes it's the power. There are predators out there that I'm just not scared of. A bird eats a worm, which means that a bird is a predator. I'm not very scared of birds, unless it's an eagle. They're like the size of me, and they could probably pick me up and eat me, okay? Those things are a little terrifying. But birds don't really scare me. One time we were, I was, my mom was at home, and the rest of us came home from something, and my mom's like, yeah, there's a bird in the house, and I'm trying I'm, to open up the doors. I'm trying to get it to fly out, and we looked at that bird for one second. We're like, Mom, it's a bat. It's not a bird. You know, and so now we're like terrified. I went and grabbed a tennis racket. I'm not going to lie. I hit, the t- I hit the bat with a tennis racket. It was like coolest day of my life. Bats terrify me. Bats are predators that want to kill me, at least in my brain. I don't want to be around a, a bat. A bird, not a big deal. It's the, it's the, the power in a predator that is the, is the terrifying thing for us. The scariest predator isn't simply one that you just don't recognize is there. It's also the one that has the power to destroy once it shows itself. Once you have seen a mountain lion, you're, again, you're probably dead. Like, that's just the way it is. You ain't gonna survive very long, probably. Sin as a predator, it has a life of its own. You don't just do something wrong. You don't just commit a sin and then it's done. There, it, it sort of stays with us. Sin isn't just an action. It's actually a force. And it has a growing power in our lives to continue to wreak more and more havoc. If you don't think that's the case, how many times have you ever, in, in a moment of anger, said something that you regret? Has anybody ever done that? Yes. I've done it. I've done it today. Okay. Here's the next question for you. When you've done that, was it easier the next time not to lash out in anger when you got mad? And to say, not to say, regret. no, 99 times out of 100, the moment that we have opened up ourselves to that kind of thing, it gets a little easier the next time. There's so many cases of people who have murdered someone for the first time and open up this weird floodgate. And now you've got a serial killer on your hands. On a smaller level, you yell at your kids. You get angry in, a moment, in, in that moment, and you yell at them. It gets a little bit easier the next time to fly off the handle, and it gets a little harder to control ourselves. Sin actually becomes a force in our lives. It has a hold on us. Um, C.S. Lewis, um, he says something really cool about this in Mere Christianity, about how, how sin actually has this way of hardening us. And he talked about how the Nazis, they started killing Jews at first because they hated them. But then after a while, they began to hate the Jews because they had killed them. See, what happens, first we do the sin, and then the sin just takes hold of us. The Nazis had to, to, to put things on the Jews that, man, they're, they're so awful that we need to keep killing them. They had to, they had to just make it up as they were going on to, to make themselves and, and the awful things that they were doing not seem so bad. To, to convince themselves that they weren't sinning. Sin hardens our hearts to where we have to excuse it. Uh, sin had actually already hardened the hearts of the first family that, that's recorded in the Bible. Okay, if you look at the story of Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve ate from that fruit, that, that tree that they weren't supposed to, 
God comes and he, he's, he's like, hey guys, what, what are you doing? And Adam, right away, he's, he's embarrassed. He doesn't say, oh God, I didn't do that. But he kind of puts the blame off onto his, his wife. He's like, that woman that you put here, she made me do it. Eve does the same thing except with the serpent. She's like, that serpent that you put here, like, serpent made me do it. They never, they never denied it, but they were, they were starting to harden their hearts. And then you get to this kid, Cain, their son. And the hardening had, had increased a little bit more. God confronts Cain, and Cain just completely disregards God altogether. All he's like, hey, where is your brother Abel? And now when he asks that question, he's, it's not because God doesn't know. He's just trying to see where Cain's heart is at. And Cain says, am I supposed to be watching that dude? That's not my job. He doesn't deny anything. He pretends like nothing had even happened. Have you ever found yourself, your heart getting hardened to the behaviors that you know are destructive and they're not healthy? Have you ever found yourself excusing away things that you know you're not supposed to be doing and it's causing a problem? I've had tough conversations with my wife in 17 and a half years of marriage. Let's be honest, she's had really tough conversations with me. That's really more what it is. Times where she's had to tell me things that has been incredibly, incredibly hard to hear. Things like, hey, Kellen, you're not treating people very well right now. Hey, Kellen, you are, you're not being very good about your time. You, all you're doing is thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about the people around you. Kellen, you are, you are not thinking about the words that are coming out of your mouth and how they're affecting the people around you. And I'm going to tell you, it is not fun from the person you love more than anybody in the world to have them say that kind of stuff to you. And I get initially, there's this hardening that's taking place. And there's the excuses. Oh, man, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. People just take things wrong. And, and it's, it's part of my personality. Have you ever blame your character flaws on your personality? I've done it before. But then there's this place where God, the Holy Spirit, starts to get into my heart and starts to soften it again a little bit. Starts to help me see the truth about the things that I've been lying to myself over and over again about. Do you find that you are excusing away legitimate character flaws inside of you? Saying, well, it's just, it's just my personality, or people don't understand me. How is that different than what Cain was going through in this, in this story? Cain had a character flaw. Cain had a character flaw where he thought, man, I deserve everything that, that my brother Abel got. God should be giving me stuff. And it was such a character flaw that he went and he killed his brother over it. Like that's, that's crazy. It hurt him. It obviously hurt his brother. It hurt his relationship with God and almost killed his relationship with God. His sin had become a powerful predator in his life. And the sins that you and I deal with that potentially have the, the greatest potential to destroy us, oftentimes they're the things that we laugh at. They're the things that we're not willing to actually admit to. They're the things that we deny, we rationalize, we minimize it. So the question is, what are those crouching sins that are lurking at your door? What are those sins that are just, they're sneaky, they're, they're lying in the weeds, but the moment they come out, man, they are powerful. Those things that maybe you're quick to defend and be like, ah, people just don't understand. To be honest, sometimes for me it feels like it's a bit too much. Sometimes I feel I'm a bit too much of Cain 
not enough able. Please tell me that there's something in this story that will help the Cains like me of this world. There is something, all right? The third thing I want us to talk about, about Cain's sin. Cain's sin requires justice. But God foreshadows an even better justice to come. It's my favorite part of the story of the Bible, how God shows a better story. So what do I mean by he, that God foreshadows an even better justice to come? It starts off in verse 10, okay? In verse 10, God says, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. See, God was implying a few things with that statement. He's saying, Cain, A, I know that your brother is dead. B, Cain, I know you did it. Three, or C, or I don't know if I'm going with letters or numbers, okay? That was a Home Alone moment. If you ever watched that, it's, it's awesome when he does that. The third thing, and I got to look at it again because I don't even remember. Abel's death is crying out for justice. Cain deserves a punishment. That's what God is saying. Cain, you deserve a punishment. But beyond this story, if you read a little bit more, God actually let go of Cain. He actually let him go to this city that later in the, in the Old Testament, you'd actually call it a city of refuge where he was going to be protected. He gave him a way out. Justice and forgiveness, though, was not going to come by way of Abel's blood. Because God is a God of justice, when injustice is done, that injustice, it cries out to God that there has to be justice. Something has to be done about that. And here's the thing about Abel's blood. Abel's blood was not going to bring justice for Cain. In fact, the only thing that Abel's blood was going to do is it was going to bring condemnation. It was bringing guilt on Cain. He had killed his brother. Something needed to be done. But there's something really cool that happens, and we read about it ahead up in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I love what it says there. Jesus' blood speaks a better word than Abel's blood. See, while the blood of Abel brought condemnation and guilt on Cain, the blood of Jesus was different. The blood of Jesus brings salvation and forgiveness. It cries out that our sin has already been justified by the perfect blood that Jesus shed on our behalf. My favorite pastor, Timothy Keller, he says it this way. In a sense, Jesus Christ is standing before the throne of his father and saying, Father, your law demands justice. These people have sinned. The wages of sin is death. But for all the people who believe in me, I have paid for it. There is my blood crying out for justice. Justice demands that you never condemn my brothers and sisters. What Jesus is saying is, my blood says that you don't, you don't have to condemn them any longer because of their sin. This is an enable situation that brings condemnation. I've changed it all. I have a better story. See, this is where the justice of God and the love of God come together in, I think, the most beautiful thing that we've ever seen on the face of this planet. The justice of God and the love of God coming together. Jesus is not standing before the Father every time I sin, saying, Father, have mercy on him. He's actually saying, Father, I'm calling out to you for justice. 
calling out for you to you for a justice that's already been met in my blood. Because Jesus has already died for my sin, the Father can actually embrace me for who I am. Now, maybe you're somebody who you've always felt like you have to do a little bit better, that you have to be somebody a little bit more interesting, that you have to serve God a little bit more sacrificially for him to, to, to be okay with you. You're trying to get God to owe you something. I'm telling you, God doesn't owe you anything, and God never will owe you anything. But the beautiful part about it, before we've ever done anything good, he's already given us more than what we deserved. He's already given us everything that we need. God's justice and his love clothed together in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is ready and willing to bring salvation to us, but he's also ready and willing to bring us an identity where we no longer have to be the grumpy Cain who's always trying to do things the right way and blaming other people for not doing things the right way. Jesus accepts us as we are. His death means that my identity is no longer based on how I perform. And here's the cool thing about it. Maybe, just maybe, when I start to understand that more, more and more, I become a person who lives the way that Jesus wants me to, the way that Jesus is calling me to, living out of that place of sin because I appreciate and I understand what he's already done for me. You guys can come up. Here's the better story, you guys. Abel's death, his blood, it wasn't the end of the story. God had a far better story in mind. The blood of Jesus was the story that would bring you and me not only God's justice, but his love together at the same time, at the same place. We no longer sit condemned. We no longer sit in our guilt, but we are freed. We are forgiven. And it's not based on what I've done. It's based completely on what God has done. This is why I love the Bible. It's because in all the ugliness that we see, we see there's always a better story. And that better story, it's always found in Jesus. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.